Oh, huh. Gonna catch me short, huh? The music. Usually takes forever for the streaming live to go. The kid just laid down for a nap, so I'm gonna have to do this with conversational tones. You are now about to witness the awesome crushing might of uh, the U-A-G-S Robinson Show. Welcome, my friends, to a show that seemingly never ends. The Eugene S. Robinson Show Stomper. V. V. 207. I'm your host, Eugene S. Robinson. And we got a lot of heavy to get through, and not a lot of time to get through it. Gonna talk about that. Mm, mm, we talk about that fight last night. And mm. um, we're gonna tell you how we got to that fight last night. Mm, but first, Bob Riley, who stigmata, is gonna sing us in like he has every week since 2007. Can you believe it? I gotta have him on the show, as one of you suggested. Not a bad idea at all. I was supposed to have the bear camp, but I've been had a busy week, haven't had the time to work on the technology. We'll let Bob sing us in. Stigmata, intro, all of nothing. And the calling is just still available from Revelation Records in Hungry Beach, California. Where she your car, she hit your car, damn She definitely might go up and run your mayor pro time out of town. Listen, listen well. I got it all in. I could not see so clear, but I'm taking a real good look at you. Real good look at your face. So being paid back and for always nothing. All right, all right. Oh, it won't stop. There we go. It won't stop. All right. So we got. I got. I'm pressed for time. Sorry. It. Uh, at. Uh, I'll explain it to you in the in the fullness of time. So. Um, how we got here? Commercials out of the way first. Pinko P I N K O nine five zero one four at yahoo.com. Eugene dash Robinson dot dash twenty eight. Uh, I think that's either Cash App or Venmo. I can't remember which. Uh, Planet Oxbow is either Cash App or Venmo. I can't remember which. And of course, patreon.com slash the stomper. The stomper. It's a way to get money to the show if that's something you want to do. Or the old-fashioned way, the way Mr. Tommy Pounds does, just through the envelope in the mail. It comes in and uh, it, it goes out. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm sure most of you haven't had a chance to read the Substack yet. Mr. Is is on it. As it is, we talked about He's come up several times today on Care Don't Care Preview, which we record on Sunday, but even though it debuts Monday afternoon. 
So Mr. Is, you got yourself a surprise. Uh, um, anyway, um, let, let's let, let's go through this a bit. And I, I'm going to talk fast, like 50 Cent said, you're just going to have to keep up. So um, as you may know, Oxbow um, doesn't do, you know, like like Boonwell in, in very different ways that we do. We'll, because of us not having time to rehearse face to face, we'll set up a, 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 a set list. And that'll be the tour set list. And we'll play that tour, that set list every night, which is completely unsuccessful for Oxbow, completely works for Boonwell because we're not practicing together. We don't have time. So we're working out. It's like standing on stage doing Hamlet every night. Uh, it takes a certain amount of discipline and focus. And it's a tight, even though you are largely restricted by the text that you're covering, it's a tight tight rope wire tight wire tight rope wire walking act to not fall down into total chaos and to maintain some sort of emotional presence to do the same set every night oxbow uh because we rehearse together and see each other and have done it for a long time found that that absolutely doesn't work at all and more importantly there's certain things we do coming out and starting the set from go doesn't work at all we have to come out and improvise before we start the set proper to get us in the frame of mind you know like frank booth in uh like frank booth in uh in uh, a blue velvet have to huff the fumes before we're ready to take the ride the joy ride so that that's very much how i i am doing the substack and it never works out like my first novel which will remain unpublished the friend catcher it never works out when i set out to do something at, like I'm going to run down that hundred yards. You know, that's what I'm going to do. No surprises, nothing out of the ordinary. So by the time I get to the 80th yard, I'm like, you know what? I know the way the rest of this is going to go. Why don't I just leave now? And so I, I might actually leave now. Just, you know, loneliness of the long distance runner style, beg off. I'm not going down that way. Why? Forget it. I've, the, from the start to quote Henry Rollins, from the start, I see the end. So my start this week was, as some of you who pay attention to music press will see that uh, Flea, I bet you didn't see that word coming out of my mouth, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers appeared on stage with Nick Cave. Now, to, to, to fill you in on a little backstory on this, not only did I do a show with Nick Cave, I think in 2010 or 2009 at the Royal Albert Hall in England um, as part of the London Jazz Festival, I was asked by a uh, Mr. Barry Adamson to appear. And uh, Mr. Barry Adamson got me, Nick Cave, and a stripper named Immodesty Blaze to perform, kind of like perform during this musical review that he did, where he was playing guitar and bass and vibes and had a full like orchestra of 30 people or some such thing. It was pretty fun. I, I, you know, Nick Cave and I, it was a nice, wonderfully competitive thing going, you know, we were kind of like, and it was really cool. Then apparently post-show, in the glow of post-show, I said something that offended him. Now, I don't know what I said to offend him. I've written an article about it. You can go read it, earning Nick Cave's disdain. But I don't hang out in those, I don't hang out in those rarefied Algonquin table type environments where you have to second guess what people mean. If I say something, I'm pretty, it's pretty clear. I'm a, I'm a rustic. 
it's pretty clear that I, there's no shading or I'm not being slick or my next article in Decibel is talking about a meeting I had with Stephen Brodsky from Caven, where I was like, are we speaking the same language? Because I don't speak that fashion world thing. I was like, I'm not taking sidelong Tallulah Bankhead swipes at you. I, if I'm going to insult you, I'm going to be pretty like direct. You're, you will not miss that it's an insult. Like I just did on the in the in the comments on last week's uh, care don't care, somebody was giving me a hard time for uh, uh, bagging on Bryce Mitchell, and I said, hey, you know what I had? He goes, you 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 haters don't even let would you you can't believe the guy? I go, hey, you know what I've I've heard I've heard that Bryce Mitchell's got really salty, uh, really uh, sweet tasting nuts. It tastes like candy. Do you beg to differ? Nobody's missing that that's a mistake. Or like when I almost get to the fight at the kids park because uh, I wasn't actually there. I went back. But some guy starts to lecture uh, my wife about consent when her three-year-old boy won't move out of Kasha, uh, out of Cora's way. And he's been following her the whole time, standing in her way. And Cora just pushes by him. He goes, I don't like that she touched me. And the father starts lecturing Kasha about consent. I said, I would have asked the guy. I said, hey, you know, maybe it's now a good time to talk about fellatio. Palacio, yeah, you blow me. You know? So I, I, I'm direct. So I said something to Nick Cave. I said, uh, wouldn't he sang the song uh, most famously written by uh, Jacques Brel called uh, Au Suivant, which in English means next. And Scott Walker did a cover of it. So Nick Cave did a cover of the Scott Walker cover. And I go, man, that would have been, you know, been cool, super cool too is if you had sung it in French, that would have been a blast. And he got like all haughty and huffy and walked off. It's the last time I ever had a conversation with him. It's like, all right, bro. Well, apparently he was famously quoted as saying something like, uh, I'm forever at parties and there's some shit on the radio. And I hear, who is this? And this ends up being the Red Hot Chili Peppers, famously. So they go back to Flea with this. And then Flea says, yeah, you know, I read that quote and I thought it kind of sucks. I'm a I'm a huge Nick Cave fan, you know. Um, but then I decided it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm still a huge Nick Cave fan. It's a drag that he doesn't like my band, but I'm okay with that. I'm still a huge Nick Cave fan. Well, apparently age, distance, you know, this is the early days of social media. Maybe he didn't expect to be quoted. Has caused Nick Cave to have a and Warren Ellis from the Dirty Three, who he plays with, um, actually, you know, had made some music with Flea before. They decide that they play the show in L.A. to have Flea come up and play. Now, I, one of the things that I found most onerous about the early hardcore scene was that at the same time that it was really super political, you wouldn't have people just burst out like, "Hey, guess what? Ian McKay is a fucking prick." You wouldn't have anybody say that. You know, because everybody was jockeying for position and it just took the it took the dominant paradigm and and hardcoreized it where, you know, people who had social power or capital in the community were people that you were feared. And, and I remember thinking, man, I just I want to get out of. OK, there's a benefit to saying, like, you know, you don't know who's going to like you. There's a benefit not to be a constant and continual shit talker. Right. There's a certain benefit to that because you discover over the fullness of time that people who you didn't even know like you liked you have common cause together. If you're just out there spewing venom, you know, don't even do this. Don't even do anything that has a social component. And you can be an anchorite and live in your fucking cave and not be bothered with people. I got that. I got that there's a midway. But when Flea appears on stage, is that a midway or a capitulation? I don't know. 
but I'm starting to write this piece for the Substack this week because it irked me and I wanted to talk about it. But what kept hitting my head is this image of, of a bunch of young men being told, I want you to go over there. Where well, over there? All right, cool. What, what do I do when I get there? When, I want you to go over there. Take it over. Well, this is the modern world. We're we're mired in the internet now. What do you, what do you mean take it over? There's a few record stores. There's some clothing stores. They got a nice sneaker place there. It's a Starbucks. What, what, you take get your tank. Get in that tank and go over there and take it over. What, what does that mean? Go over to the police station, take away their guns. I don't know what the fuck. Take it over. That's what I mean. Take it over. Buddies go over. You say, hey, um, hey, uh, we're taking you over. At what point the guys go, hey, you know what? I, I understand you. But like Bartleby the Scrivener said, I prefer not. I prefer not to be taken over. And at one point you call back and they say, he says he doesn't want to be taken over. What do you do? I don't, hey, you know, you got to let him know where he is. How about shooting him? Shoot him. He's just standing. Shoot that fucking guy. I don't know. He didn't really do anything to me. You know? And so I start to think, like, what is the process by which you get people? And people are complaining about, you know, like, okay, well, I didn't see all this concern for, for when they were bombing Aleppo or when they were in the Middle East or whether there's is, is something about brown. I don't know. I'm not talking about that right now. Let's not get into colorism. That's not what really... You got to understand by Ukrainian by Ukrainians' point of view, Russia started there. Kiev was a functioning, flourishing city way before you know it's older city. I guess ostensibly, as told to me by a Ukrainian, than Moscow. You guys are kid Russia, kid brothers to the Ukrainians. What are you coming over here dictating terms? How do you how do you gin the guess up and get them to go over and start killing people? These people speak. I mean, it's like you say, oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what about the American Civil War? Brother shot against brother. Then, well, it's a different deal. It's a different deal. Cash involved, <laughs> and by cash, I mean ownership of slaves. <laughs> so, so I start to think, okay, well. What and so I start to do this whole meditation on the nature of of murder and killing. And next thing I know, next thing I know, that piece is right in itself. And the Nick Cave flea piece just seems silly. You're getting pretty close, G, uh, GB. I, I, I classism. I also thought that today. I was thinking, uh, um, and this is a digression. It has nothing to do with the main thought, but classism. I was like, "Huh, huh." If you, if you look at, I, I think the most, the most earnest, um, uh, the most earnest uh, determinant of future success of uh, romantic relationships, you know, ha has very much to do with class caste. And I'm basing this on, let's see, let's say I'm basing it on people I know who are fairly close to me. And, and, and I have this experience before in life. Like I said, okay, I'm going to do my, you know, 
I want my daughters to grow up. I don't want them to be the shrieking violence. I'm going to buy them, you know, I'm going to buy no Barbie dolls in my house, no princess little mermaid shit. Get my kids tanks and construction tools and all that kind of stuff. They're going to play with whatever they want to play with. And they did. They used the dump trucks to haul their dolls around. <laughs> you can't, there's a certain aspect of, 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 of uh, nature that you just can't get away from. No, you could try. You, you will not succeed. And I feel cast, class cast is very much the same thing. When I look at my uh, uh, kids' successful relationships, they are all class cast bound. In other words, you know, the, 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 your successful endeavors happen to be with people who, who speak that unspoken language that guides what you do at the dinner table. Do you pour Cheetos in a bowl and eat with your fingers? My friend Donnie used to do that for dinner. Donnie lived in a trailer in rural Maryland. I was friends with Donnie, but I wasn't friends with Donnie for long. It's not snobbery. It's just that you get tired of translating. My kids see the most successful relationships seem to be, despite their efforts to be egalitarian about it, seem to be people that are same class. And that's funny because we can't figure out, we can't put our hands on what class is. So if you read in the New Yorker today, if one of you sent me this thing uh, uh, from the, the, the New Yorker, which uh, made me very happy, and uh, I'll just... It's called The Weakness of the Despot. And I tweeted it out if you follow me on Twitter. It's long, but you should like New Yorker pieces, but you should give it a read. And the person speaking in it is this guy, I'll just read a little bit of, of it to you, um, is an expert on Stalin, discusses Putin, uh, Russia, and the West. Remnick wrote it, but they talked to this guy, Stephen Kotkin, who is a, uh, who's written the book, uh, Paradoxes of Power, Waiting for Hitler, and a third volume is going to take the story through the Second World War and Stalin's death. Um, and he is the uh, professor of history at Princeton and a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute right over here, close by me. And he, he, he I mean, it's a long piece, but he fundamentally says kind of that Putin is losing his mind. And that the nature of despotism, and part of it is much like Bernard Lewis when he talks about the problem in the Middle East, which Kotkin also ref references, it's that there, this, the, dissonance, the dissonance in the heads of these guys creates a lot of the problems. He goes, Russia is fundamentally a third world country. They don't like to think that, but they're still playing catch up with the West, even more so now that everybody's got the fucking internet. <laughs> You will, if the Baltic states were to get together, all of whom, unless they live in a place where it's throttled, all of whom have access to TikTok videos and all that shit, you're done. You're done. There's no benefits. He says, but it doesn't matter to Putin because he surrounds it. He goes, he goes about the, the negative effect where you don't surround yourself with people who are smart enough to depose you. In other words, you surround yourself with stooges who are unlikely to topple you or question you very hard. But you get bad information from these stooges. So collectively, you you have built a weaker state. And this goes back to our idea about murder being an ineffective tool of states, state-sponsored murder being an ineffective tool of governance because it breeds unstable societies. And that's kind of what Kotkin ends up saying.
So I talk about, I talk about, um, yeah. Well, the thing is, yeah. I mean, the thing is, uh, Mister, is what what Kotkin says is that um, if you're not taxing people, uh, the people collectively, um, there there is no medium by which they can can affect change. Uh, you know, the people, were they going to strike? If I'm in jail, he's built a really effective police state. He's built a really effective police state. People, are, I'm not going to pay my taxes. Don't. I'm stealing the money from the oil. That's the money you're not getting. I don't need your money. I don't need anything from you. Except to keep your mouths fucking shut, says Putin. It's an unsuccessful tool of governance. And as was said on a couple of uh, uh, If the Shoes Fit, the guy surrounded himself. I mean, he trusts nobody at this point. And there's this talk of Parkinson's, which could be agitprop. We don't know. But this whole thing, this whole thing, um, yeah, but this is, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, doing a great job, Brownie. This is a tradition that continues. You know, do I hire my friends or do I hire field experts? Frankly, I have to tell you, where I be in that position, I'm hiring my friends. That was with Chris Rock's joke about having a black woman as president. I'm going to I'm gonna hire Ray Ray. She knows how to fight. Yeah, it's funny. So, you, you know, so we ha- we have ourselves in the midst of a failed state, but I go, what, what makes this Lieutenant uh, Colonel David Grossman wrote a book on killing, which I referenced, and he says that it's not natural. And I've got, I kind of shit on his book and say, not natural. The fuck are you living? Disneyland? What are you really are you living? It's much more than natural. And I said, but what makes it possible? He's talking about video games and violent movies and these things that make it. I say, it's the othering that makes it possible. You don't have to know what I said about, you don't have to know what I said about cast class or class cast, cast class to feel it in your bones. There's a great scene in, um, I think it's school days when, a, when I'm not a big Spike Lee fan, but um, where the, the black college kids from one of the historical black colleges and universities goes into town and they start dealing with the working class kids that are in this kind of, you know, um, chitlin joint that they go to. <laughs> and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable as in the story I ref. I mean, it's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the thing is about being class cast fluid, like some of us are, um, you can see when somebody stumbled in and gotten in over their heads. I was working out in a mafia gym in, in, in out in Ridgewood, and all these working class guys accepted me as their own, insofar as that was possible, because I was so other by virtue of the fact that I was black, that it didn't make sense try but I effectively checked that box black. Having successfully become like every, every kid, you know, every, every movie's got a script. Who are you in the script? I'm the black guy. Perfect. <laughs> I don't remember there being another black guy at that gym. Who's that guy? That's the black guy. <laughs> if somebody were to run in and say, some black guys run Guys from the gym would have run out. Yuji's in a fight. <laughs> now, I understood why I was the only black guy in that gym. 
yeah, all the six blocks I had to walk through the neighborhood to get there told me all I needed to know about the fact that there wouldn't be too many other black guys, but whatever. If I was going to let that stop me, it would have stopped me from going into, into hardcore, punk rock. But it's the othering, the inability to be fluid about this stuff. It's the othering that makes all this other shit possible. What do you think they put putting masks on on people who are about to be executed? They don't do that for the people. They do it for the people doing the execution. Why do you think they used to have masks on the backs of their heads when they were in terrible problems with humans being attacked by tigers in India? Yeah, one of the good ones. Actually, nobody ever, ever, any place I've ever been has thought I was one of the good ones. It was more just like, he's our black guy. And I was just as fucked up as those other guys there, but just in a different way. Now, the real test to, as to whether they were friendly or not is, hey, man, your sister's kind of cute. Whoa, what are you talking? Yeah, uh, you know. Did that happen? Most certainly did. Hey, Esther is hot. As you might have guessed from the name, Esther was not Italian. <laughs> uh, she was German. So again, cast class. They liked me. Why? Because I went to a good school. The German, Esther was German. Mosbach. Spoke German at home. Yeah, the point I'm trying to make is it's the process of othering that makes all this shit possible. And I, I ended with talking about the mask that they used to wear in the back of the head so they wouldn't get attacked by a tiger because the tiger didn't want to do a full frontal attack. So how do you other? I mean, I think America is in the grips in the grips of a great othering. And I'll tell you why. How is it possible that I have a lot of friends who are who are Trump voters? And we can have perfectly conversation, perfectly amicable conversations about politics. Why has that become so impossible to do on a large scale? Like Steph on, on Care Don't Care said today, Eugene, you know, I love when you get in the comments there because inevitably you end up saying something to inflame things. People are pissed off that you gave Bryce uh, Mitchell a hard time. I said, I said, I love Bryce Mitchell a lot, but I can't stand stupid political opinion. That was my opinion. But we could talk about Bryce Mitchell all day. I became a fighter so that we could talk about it all day. If you're not smart enough to be able to talk about it all day, eventually you end up saying some stuff like, I'll kick your ass. In which case, at least one of us will be prepared. And I'm okay with that. But how is it possible that we can't? Now, the cats who killed Ahmed Arbery, when they go by this guy, these guys, uh, 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 Twitter, feed, Twitter, you know, text feeds or whatever you go, and these guys were just like, you know, I, I these guys were irredeemably biased against people. I, I would venture guess that they didn't have any in their convoy who were that guy. That's our guy. No, oh, he's not like that guy. You know, uh, some guy was talking to me about how his father was a hardcore racist, but a super big football fan and football kind of brought him around, <laughs> but he would still be racist at the TV when <laughs> you know, one of his favorite players.
rappers who happen to be African-American did something he didn't like, you know? I don't know if I could consider that racism just stupidity, but underneath it all is a class caste issue. I'm not this American love affair with race. I'm not going to go. It's class caste, and it's all a process, a product of, of othering. You remember in Rwanda with the Hutus and the Tutsis, you know, and there was a plane crash, and then the, the steady drumbeat of paranoia pushed out by the radio that caught, that was the catalyst that kicked off the uh, the massacres. We don't have to go very far. Read the Onion piece on ethnic Lashistan. It's the Onion, and it's funny. But you know the 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 um, it, it's more true than not. Structurally speaking, at, at this point in twenty twenty two, why can't we do this? Why can't we uh, escape the cycle of, of othering that creates a situation where? You know, I don't know what happened last night. I haven't had a chance to read the paper, but I guarantee you there are plenty of people who are not watering their plants or feeding their cats right now because they were killed last night. And you know I'm not so much of a humanitarian. The guy, there's a guy uh, uh, about two blocks from here overturned his vehicle last night. They had to get the jaws of life. And I see the neighborhood uh, group is posting and it took all of my power to not post good, good. I hope he fucking dies, which is my honest to God feeling because I see the way some of these cats drive around this neighborhood. If you have a shitty job and you feel a need to act out, there's a freeway four blocks over. Don't do that shit to residential neighborhoods waking me up. Four barrel carburetor at six in the morning. Well, I'm up at six in the morning, but you know what I mean? Four in the morning. So it's a whole, it's a, it's a, it's a whole meditation on, on um, things as they seem versus things as, as they are. Now, if you can stare something in the face in advance of killing it as for what it is, this is the person I want. If I ever get killed, this is the person who I want to have commissioned that crime. That person, in full in full ownership of their faculties, made a principal decision. That guy's got to go. Because as much as that guy might want me to go, is as much as I want to not go. That's what we call decent competition. Now, in regards to last night's oofsie, it was a miserable, miserable occasion. Because unlike Mr. Is... Well, I got his tweets and I was like, oh my God, he's on it. I got to get on it. And so I start watching from the beginning. But I had a birthday party for my grandson. And not only that, I have, uh, you know, your Facebook will suggest things to you. Oh, don't you remember? My Facebook suggested to me a picture from last year, my grandson's three-year-old birthday. And I'm sitting in the, on the trampoline over at, uh, at his house where he lives. And I, I'm looking at my phone, watching the fights. And I go, you know what? I don't want to be that prick tonight. Not for Santos and the, the, the I'm not going to do that. So put the phone away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, right, right. So the beginning. The beginning on the Mr. Is's tutelage 
I tune in, I'm watching, great. I get to the party, decide I don't want to be a prick, turn the phone off. I come back after I get the kid in bed and start watching. But because the fight's all over and I know maybe I'm going to get tired, maybe I got some other stuff to do, I'm going to go backwards and I'm going to watch Santo. I'm going to watch the main card and go all the way through. You should not do this. This is like having that dream where you're about to get down with like the sexiest person you've ever seen. The dream, you get interrupted and you're like, oh, I got to get back to that dream. And you get back to dream and the second go around, it turns horribly, horribly wrong. That's what this was like. And for reasons that that tie into something that happened this week, that again, that as big a brains as as the bald one might consider that he is, and Sean Shelby, also known as Keith, who's not the only uh, talent booker there. Somebody tweeted out this week, and I think it came from BJPen.com. Uh, fighters that we're all excited about, names who, if I say to you, oh yo yeah, and their ages. The ruling spirit of last night was Johnny Boney Joni, who very quietly and very cleverly said at some point, everybody complains about how close these fights are, but anybody who fights me, they're never the same after. Or something to that effect. And you look at Dominic Reyes and you look at Santos, and he's exactly 100% right. They came to the post, had their best moment, and found themselves lacking and were never the same again. I don't need to see 38-year-old Tiago Santos coming face-to-face with reality. And it's not even coming face-to-face with reality like you're introducing him to something he doesn't know. It is clear to me from watching him fight, it, it is clear to me that 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 he knows exactly what's going on. And he's thinking about, he's thinking, I mean, this is the thing, when you get, and one of my Trump guys today, some guy who listens to the show sometimes, Marty G, he said, hey, you know, the Jiu-Jitsu breakdown we do, he said, listen, and he went free market on me. And he had a, a market lack of sympathy for these guys. It's like, don't like it, do something else. You know, something that, that you know, usually, strangely enough, given our different political uh, uh, persuasions, he's usually the much more understanding guy, and I'm usually the more uh, hardliner. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And then we, I said, we, you, you don't listen to all the shows. We went through this on the show before. If I give you a million dollars to eat a plate of shit, while I might have the money to spend, and while you might need the money, and while you might actually eat shit for a million dollars, it doesn't mean that any of that was good. I'm sorry, the market doesn't clear that behavior. Hmm. Right. The market doesn't clear that behavior. Not in a society I want to live in. You know, Elvis used to make women wrestle for his amusement. Okay, whatever. Eating poop sandwiches, very different deal. And when you see, I mean, what is it? Some guy said to me uh, once from uh, jujitsu said, why are you so hung up on authenticity? Why does it make a difference whether Lana Del Rey is really Lana Del Rey or some studio creation? Why do you give a shit? I think it's generational. I think, Earnest authenticity means something to me because I grew up in the 60s. 
I've always had a thing against phonies and frauds. You could fool some of the people some of the time, not me. It matters to me somehow. So when I see that the the owners are making 16%, unlike owners and other organizations that make 50% and get kicked 50 back to the, the people that they're in business with, I quoted Mr. Marcus and they said, hey, you know, generally I'm sympathetic to Mr. Marcus's line of, you know, you knew what the job was when you took it. But is that the job? And did I know? Because I guarantee you, nobody knew that dude had enough to buy a $36 million beach house. Now, like I said, when I talked to a story about this, when I was painting houses and discovered that the power washer house, I was getting like $75 with a dude who got the job was getting like $800 for the job. And then I just said, well, you know, you got the job. I'm okay with that. I knew what the job was. I took it. He felt guilty, paid me more. All right. That's up to him. I didn't feel like I could demand that. I didn't feel like I wanted to demand it. If I don't want it, walk away. Yeah, I was 21 then. You know, not 38. 30-year-old Tiago Santos. Got to watch that. Five rounds of that. And let me tell you, Zemagomed wasn't was wasn't wasn't far enough away. So that felt like that felt like five rounds of absolute torture. And then of course, it's like Darby Crash killing himself on the same day that he, I think either Belushi died or Lennon got shot. Completely overshadowed his 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 artistic act of suicide. Reyes, uh, uh, um, um, no, who's the cat? Uh, Morais. <laughs> can't even remember his name, takes his gloves off and puts him down in the cage. He retired. <laughs> Son Young Dong beat the fuck out of him. He retired. He's done. Now, 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 look. The Baldwin has said at odd times, this is not a long-term career. Okay. All right, I got it. Not a long-term career. I got you. Not a long-term career. That means a short-term career. Help you buy beach houses, short-term. I mean, fundamentally, Lloyd Price had it right. Fighters will come and go. It is not a long-term career. I don't know of anybody who's successfully producing mixed martial arts and sports entertainment at the age of 59, which is my age. I'd like to think I could do anything I want. I mentioned that today in my discussion with Marty G. I said, hey, I want to be a jockey. He goes, I'm sure there's somebody in America who would put your 220-pound ass on a horse. I just don't know who they are. And I said, you're absolutely uh, uh, wrong about that. And some of the other fights, I feel like uh, the Drew Dober, the Drew Dober uh, McKinney fight. I don't think McKinney, who took this fight on short turnaround, was in any way diminished. He did some electric stuff in that fight. Electric, absolutely electric stuff in that fight. However. Drew Dober, a seasoned veteran who actually won the fight. And you could make some argument that the fight was stopped too soon, that they took equal levels of punishment, but they, uh, McKinney was ha had to go on longer. But I say, it, I say it another way. I say it another way. 
Dober just had his best moment, but it's a moment that was only best because of McKinney's style. So McKinney emerges from that fight, a continued winner. And Dober is that guy that you realize, how come he's fought so long and we don't, he just fought an exciting fight. You go, oh, that's right, because he fought McKinney. <laughs> Dober is the base color. McKinney is the accent color. <laughs> If I just put a piece, piece of fish on a plate and hand it to you, you're not going to fucking eat that. It's the that make that delectable. Yeah, McKinney took it like a man. I'm hoping on a certain level he completely understands what's going on. But I this is less about me feeling good about McKinney, which I still do, and more about what totally a completely untenable position dude is in dober he won with no portfolio no mandate no cachet and more importantly no fucking cash why do i care about cash and authenticity what does it matter the guys are going to fight whether they get paid or not so let Tyson Fury at one point started talking about mental health. Like, I'm having mental health problems. I've had them. Yeah, I I, can't, I I get you. I get you. You know, I get you. These are cats who, like, probably would be fighting behind the oleander bushes at the 7-Eleven, but now they've been given a venue. You could say a lot of women who perform in porn have been sexually abused and, and uh, are working out their issues as well. It doesn't mean that I want to watch 24 hours of gonzo porn. In fact, one of my porn reviewers once said to me, if these guys hate women so much, why don't they just do gay porn? So, so instead of coming out of last night's fight was supposed to be a cracker. Sandwich as it was between, you know, two kind of things that would be super exciting. You know, like you go to wine taste and get some crackers to... Excuse me. Um, cl cleanse your palate, and it ended up being the worst cracker ever. Not a saltine, but some then left on a 1776 ship a little too long, in the hold, damaged by salt water and moths. It was terrible. I'm sorry. Steph was excited about it, but you know. She watched it maybe in real time, chronologically correct. Yeah, Pereira, I'm not worried about Pereira and because his ground stuff, I know from talking to Eugene Barman that, that Izzy is really taking the ground stuff seriously. And Pereira didn't impress me on the ground. And that's a brand differentiator that will make a big difference in that fight. Their styles are very similar. And provided you could get Izzy to get some point of pride and stand up and trade with him i don't think that's necessarily going to be something that's mixed martial arts bro welcome to it james tony says randy couture you know what i mean let, let me let me yeah the 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 coogler uh, thing uh with the uh with the getting arrested <laughs> trying to take out uh money uh I'm not really I'm not really willing to to rush and call that racism. You know what I'm willing to rush and call racism? 
I'm depositing at one point, I was trying to put a down payment on a house when I was in my 20s. And I go to the bank and I'm transferring money from one account to another. And I go to Wells Fargo in Redwood City. And I say, I'd like to make a deposit. And she goes, great. And I take a manila envelope out and I put $30,000 on the counter. And she goes, hold on a second. And she calls the, the manager and the manager comes over and they start treating me like garbage. And I'm just smiling. And I said, hey, can I ask you a question? And they're like, yeah. I go, in the annals of crime, as long as humans have existed and people have paid attention to crime, have you ever known a bad guy to give money to a victim? Have you ever known anybody to do that? And the, the manager looked at me and goes, take his deposit and walks off. Punchline. Manager was black. <laughs> Sometimes you get treated worse by your own fucking people. <laughs> that was out and out racism. But again, racism to me has a power component. You don't take this $30,000. I take all my money out of the bank and put it in Bank of America. Not because they're any less racist, but because they're not fucking with me making quick time across town. QTAT. I don't have time for your games. I got shit that has to get done. Do it. So, you know, uh, other fights on the card. Um, uh, dude, um, uh, Roberson and, uh, help me out, Roberson and uh, Roundtree. Great fucking fight. Great, great, great. <laughs> uh, uh and I agree, JB, about Izzy. I, I find Izzy to me is like is like Danzig. I enjoy him a lot more the the less I read what he has to say. Roundtree was great. That was great. That was a great fight. Uh, I missed. I, I didn't have an opportunity to see his heartfelt thing at the post fight presser because the kid was in bed then. So I, you know, I couldn't. I could see it, but I couldn't hear it. Right. And Steph talked about it. it had something to do with his weight or something. She said it was very touching. Yeah, yeah. I need I need to watch it. I need to watch it. But I, I guarantee you, me watching it will not mean that I feel any better about what I'm seeing. Because as sensitive and heartfelt as that thing might might be, he's still working for a monster. <laughs> and according to uh, Marty G, you don't like it? Quit. Not everybody can do that. He goes, everybody can do that. And I'm almost agreeing with him, sort of, kind of. And there was good jujitsu on that. Uh, 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 Damon Jackson, who I mistook for some other guy named Damon Jackson, uh, he that was great to watch. Yeah, there was some solid. The guy Jones and Bosco, the the Bas Bas Basarat, that was good. More importantly, for the stuff that happened after, there's like real genuine human stuff happening. Stuff that shoots, blasts big holes in that othering. I don't care that I just fought this guy. I don't care that we come from different places. I don't care his friend just died. 
take your hat off this guy. He fought, wanted to dedicate. I'm going to let him dedicate this fight to him. It's nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. He said he he, he had a weight problem. I realized that the, uh, I was always a, a big kid. My mother was the only one who would tell me that I was fat. My mother and uh, two other women I tried to have sex with over the course of time, like, you're fat. You know, fucking fat. I was 265. I had the 300. I was like steroided out. I was fat. And I tried my pants on later after I dropped all that weight. I was like, Jesus Christ, I was fat. And I contacted these women and said, I need to apologize. I just tried these pants on. I got two people in the pants I used to wear all the time. I still say I was big, but I understand big and fat. But I was like, I told you a story about me talking to my my friend, who's the black guy, who's a cop. And I was like, ah, oh, these fucking pigs. And he was like, he recoiled. I was like, oh man, like him, his identification in his blood, he's a cop. And I was talking to a friend of mine and, and I said, ah, oh, that fat fucking same thing. And I he grew up a kid who was slightly overweight. This was, this was not, this was, it felt bad. And I, and I said, oh, fuck, man, I'm sorry. I had a, uh, another friend who said, at one point, we we're goofing off about chairs. And he burst out with a kind of bitter vitriol I'd never heard in his voice before. And he said, you don't know what it's like to sit in a chair and have your feet not touch the floor. And he's shorter. Or go to a party, women won't talk to you. I was like, ah, you know, I, 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 I did tell somebody something. I said, listen, I complain about my dating life at Stanford being miserable. Uh, my wife laughs at me. She goes, so you only went out with two women a year? You know, for some people, that's a fucking orgy. I go, yeah, well, for me, it felt like shit. But let me tell you, my life was one person made a major difference in my life major difference in my life and that one person was eddie murphy <laughs> i think the 48 hours was the first movie he did before trading places or beverly hills cop of course the first thing he did was appear on saturday night live and all of a sudden people had had a a a, a means to understand who i was i'm not making this up the guitar player for whipping boy there's a guy named Steve Ballinger, big blonde guy. People would go, Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy. And suddenly I had some means by which California white folks could understand this whole New York thing. And if you would attract my access to sexual partners and my success in that regard, it, it's closely tied into 48 hours. It sounds crazy. I know, but I know. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I'm afraid to steal those movies. I don't know if they've aged. I don't know if they've aged well enough for me to, to still like them, but I'm just telling you the way it was. Golden Child. I used to have a crush on an actress in the Golden Child, and she her career, I don't remember her name. Her career kind of dried up. So this fight, this fight wasn't even it wasn't even a mixed bag. It I had I, I thought I had two carrots on the, on the card. When I say two carrots on the card, that means really there were two carrots on the card. I cared about four fights in total. That means Steph worked her magic and convinced me that I should care about two more of the fights. Marlon Rice, I think I cared about, though I didn't pick him to win. 
I didn't care about the headliner fight going into it. I didn't care about it. And I don't remember the other, uh, I cared about in my heart of hearts. I added two other fights to that card. Now we got some interesting fights coming up. Like I said, those are the wine. We had the crackers last night. But like I said at Jiu-Jitsu today, if you're tracking this over the lifetime of the sport, what Marty G says, which I disagree with, I say this is UFC 1, UFC 272. I say my trend lines for this, for this, for for the UFC, it's it's like this. Based on that thing that I made reference to that I didn't talk about really, but the BJ Penn, I think the BJPen.com tweet, all your favorite fighters and their ages. Yeah, Morais, he's, he's done. He's done. He's done. He's done. And there was another, there was another fighter who was mentioned, and I was like, that's a dark star. If I ever heard it, oh my God, you have to listen to Care I Don't Care. I don't remember who it was. Steph said the name, and I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, that's right. That guy. I had completely forgotten about that guy. Whew. Okay. My chart from UFC 1 to UFC 272 is, is down because I'm looking at that listing on BJPen.com of the fighters. Who are they being replaced by? Who are they being replaced by? You can't find common cause with the biggest names that exist. You got, This is your MO to let Stipe, the last best years of his career, just languish. We'll go to job as a fireman. Johnny Boney Joni, people, they're making, they're selling interest, hits, unique views on, on Brock Lesnar. We don't have Mark Hunt is still tweeting in the press because there's, there's nothing. There's nothing. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, Marty says, that his, his trend line is this, or if it's actually gotten better. I don't see that. Keep in mind, he says that, and he hasn't watched the UFC in like weeks. He says the problem is inflation, that we went from having special events at twice a month to events every single weekend. I am aware of the fact that we are watching more fights than, we, than we've had before, but I'm also aware of I don't like crackers, and sometimes the crackers suck. In fact, I might be having more sucky crackers than ever. In fact, I haven't forgotten what I said at the end of 2021 about the end of 2022. You got until the end of the year to show me something, bald one. Arm out. I don't matter. Okay, good. We feel the same then. So uh, I got to end the show early because the kid just woke up and Kash has got something to do. Um, that's why I was rushing, talking fast. and didn't go through too much other digressions. Read the Substack. Read the Substack. You can read it for free. Monday afternoon, care don't care comes out. I have six cares on a fourteen, uh, six cares on a fourteen fight card next Saturday. Better than this week. I'm hoping it's a wine, not a cracker. Monday afternoon, care don't care. Tuesday, if the shoes fit, I don't have to threaten to uh I don't have to threaten to punch kid Nate in the face again like I did on the last if the shoes fit. And I wasn't joking. <laughs> if you were sitting right here, I'd give you the palm face. 
face palm. I would. A hundred percent. A hundred percent guaranteed. So, uh, and then on Tuesday on WongDuty.com, I'll tweet it out if you follow me on Twitter. I got a live, the live five with with Lydia Lunch, who is now a fellow uh, academic fellow, as well as uh, they just bought her papers. I think not the University of Chicago or someplace. I, I talk about it in the piece. It's a jam packed week. But I'm really happy with the Substack. I always say to read it, but I'm really telling you to read this one because I'm really happy with it. Especially my mid-course correction away from Nick Cave and Flea into something that has some real weight and gravitas. Well, Wong Duty is, is printed. It's printed. It's printed. So you'll get it. You'll If you follow on the Twitter, which I know you do, you'll just see it there. Read it. Enjoy it. It's nothing you have to watch. Not yet. We've got the, 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 the video thing planned for later. So, this is V two a zero. Uh-oh, sorry, two a zero seven of the Eugene S. Robinson Showstopper. Thanks for listening. Try not to die between now and then. This was an early show. We got it done. Got it under wire. We'll see you soon. Look what you made me do! Ah!